A lot of Bible stories start with a man who has two sons. Adam had Cain and Abel, Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, Isaac had fraternal twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob seemed to break the pattern by having 12 sons, but these still fell into two types, the favorites and the not-so-favorite. Joseph and then little Benjamin were Jacob's favorites. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, and Zebulun were not. Anyone listening to Jesus himself tell the story in today's gospel would immediately think of all these fathers and their sons. They'd expect one son to end up unfairly indulged and indulgently blessed. They'd expect the other son to end up the forefather of some godforsaken people, like the Canaanites or Edomites or Moabites. If that son was lucky, God might give him some token of protection or sustenance, like the mark protecting Cain, or the well that sprung up for Ishmael and his mother in the wilderness. But for the most part, these stories are about one heavily favored son, one unfairly treated son, and the parents who keep the cycle going. It's hard for us Christians centuries later to hear what Jesus' earliest audiences would have heard in this story. We expect the father to be the good guy because we think the father is God. If we believe that God the father is loving, inclusive, welcoming, and accepting, then we'll read the father's behavior as loving, inclusive, welcoming, and accepting. On our worst days, Christians have thought the elder son's slavish labors and faithful obedience to his father were code for the Jewish people as opposed to the penitent and newly favored Gentiles. But here's what happens if we try to hear the first part of this story the way the crowds did when Jesus told it. There was a man who had two sons. He let one of his sons take half of everything his father had, and the son left home and blew it all. When he ran out of funds, he was forced to take a job he felt was beneath him. He came up with a plan to squeeze even more funds out of his father. Like Jacob, taking advantage of his father Isaac's blindness to steal the blessing that should have gone to his brother Esau, this son prepared quite a speech, and he rehearsed it. Best line, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. When his father saw him coming, the man ran to his son, kissed him, and barely let him get his speech out. Then he did the kind of things that other indulgent fathers do. First, he gave his son the best robe in the household. That's exactly what Jacob did for his son Joseph, and Joseph sure loved to show off that robe of many colors. The second thing this father did was plan a feast with their best food. That's exactly what Abraham did for his beloved son Isaac, the son of his wife, Sarah. The Bible tells us that Abraham threw this feast when Isaac was weaned. I wonder how Ishmael felt, seeing all the fuss for his younger half-brother. In the very next verse of Genesis, Sarah notices her son Isaac playing with his brother Ishmael, son of the slave woman Hagar. 
Then Sarah plans for Abraham to kick them out of the household with nothing but bread and water. Anyone listening to Jesus tell this story would know that robes and feasts are for sons who get far more than their fair share from fathers who believe their blessings have to be limited. But Jesus' audience might also know that as signs of grace, there are sons in the book of Genesis who try to break the cycle of favoritism. One of these sons is Esau, whose brother Jacob stole the only blessing their father Isaac had to give. Isaac's blessing was for Jacob to have plenty of grain and wine and for him to be lord over his brothers. When Esau heard that Jacob had stolen the blessing, he wept and asked his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me, me also, father. But Isaac wouldn't. Decades later, though, Jacob and Esau met again. The Bible tells us at first that Esau hated Jacob, and Jacob was afraid that an angry Esau would kill Jacob's flocks and herds when he returned home wealthy and prosperous. But when Esau saw Jacob coming, the Bible tells us he ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And it turns out that Esau had prospered himself, with or without his father's blessing. Another son who wouldn't let his father's favoritism divide him from his brothers was Jacob's favored son, Joseph. In his youth, Joseph didn't do himself any favors by wearing that special robe all the time and telling his big brothers about his dreams, predicting he'd rule over them one day. They ended up selling Joseph into slavery in Egypt. But there, Joseph did well for himself and rose to power in Pharaoh's household. Eventually, like the family in today's gospel story, a famine forced the family back together. When Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy grain, Joseph recognized them. But instead of punishing them, now that he had the upper hand, Joseph invited his whole family to live in the land of Goshen, and he provided for them during the rest of the famine. And without the brothers ever apologizing, the Bible tells us that Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. When Jesus wraps up his own story of a man with two sons, the elder son has a decision to make. How will he respond to a father who plays favorites and to a brother who manipulates his father's indulgence? We also have choices about how we respond to the family dramas of our faith. Do we worship a God who plays favorites? Do we thank God as though our blessings come from a God who indulges some and not others? A mature faith for children of God might mean not settling for a God who plays favorites. The God who unfolds over the course of biblical narrative is a God who learns about a wider love and grace from his own children. Early in Genesis, God arbitrarily prefers Abel's gift over Cain's. But God learns from Esau and from Joseph and from Jesus Christ, the beloved son who gives up his status to make us all acceptable and beloved. 
And inspired by God's beloved son, we can refuse to limit ourselves to a God of indulgent favoritism. Like the elder son in today's gospel, we're at the threshold of a banquet that we can't attend as the favorite guests. But the invitation is still there. And it just may be a place of blessing, wider and more indulgent than we could have imagined.